0: Hello everyone and welcome to Joe's Tango podcast and welcome to the exciting, colorful and sometimes bizarre world of Argentine tango. On this show, we'll be meeting tango instructors, event organizers and musicians. They are a fascinating bunch of people and it'll be a great time. I'm your host, Joe Yang, and thank you very much for joining us. My guest today is a well-known tango instructor and writer. Although she lives in Argentina, she is quite the traveler and is currently dancing her way through India. For those of you out there who are thoroughly addicted to tango, you will know her as the creator of the renowned tango blog, Terpiscoral Tango Addict. And with me now is Iona Italia. Iona, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's great to be talking to you.
1: It's great to be talking to you, Joe.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's dive right into things. So Iona, can you describe the moment or moments, because there could have been more than one, when you knew you wanted tango to be a big part of your life?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I started dancing tango a very long time ago, Mm -hmm. longer ago than I really care to admit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But in 2006, I decided uh, with my then husband Mm -hmm. that I wanted to take an unpaid sabbatical year in Buenos Aires in order to improve my tango. Okay. In fact I thought that after a year I was going to return as a tango goddess
2: Mm -hmm.
1: after an entire year of learning and I realized quite quickly, when I got there, that that wasn't going to happen, that a year was not going to be enough, that I really wanted to stay for longer. Mm-hmm. So we rented out our London flat so that we could spend a couple of years in one Aires. Okay. And eventually in 2009, we split up
0: uh-huh.
1: and my ex, Oliver, went back to London, but mm-hmm. I decided to stay.
0: Okay. So, so it during... seemed
1: like a good idea at the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so during that time in, in Buenos Aires, when you started training really intensively that, that one year, what was that experience like?
1: Well, at first it was quite, the lessons were quite dispiriting mm. for both of us. So I arrived with this illusion that I was already quite a good dancer and they were just going to hone a few things and add a few fancy touches. Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided to study with a teacher called Gachi Fernandez, Mm -hmm. who is a really old-school stickler for detail, authoritarian, disciplinarian. (laughs) Okay. Imagine you're a kind of old-fashioned ballet teacher.
0: I see. Oh, okay. She's
1: a bit like that. Mm -hmm. She didn't actually, you know, cane us or anything of that kind, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but... She basically looked at us with absolute horror, okay. and had us starting right from the very beginning again. Mm-hmm. And of course, we needed that. She was completely correct. Mm-hmm. So the lessons were dispiriting, but going to the Malonga was an amazing experience for me. Okay. For me, in particular, for Oliver, it was more difficult. Mm-hmm. I went to a lot of the. Well, we went. We both went to the uh, most old-fashioned Malongas, most traditional ones. Mm-hmm. And to many of the ones that were matinees that were frequented by very old tangueros. Okay. So we went to places like Lodosalia where the average age is 80.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: And I danced an awful lot. I got asked to dance by all the old guys. Mm Mm-hmm and some of them were really unpleasant to dance surprisingly unpleasant to dance with but others were wonderful mm. so i was spending all night every night dancing and that was an amazing feeling and i loved the old traditional malongas mm-hmm. i loved the historical feel of them okay um, so yes that that was how it was when nice. we arrived in buenos aires
0: wow yeah, so, you know, you mentioned your, your teacher looking at you in, in horror. That must have been an extremely humbling experience. But when did you start feeling your dance change? What was what was that like when, when things started coming together?
1: Well, you know, I think it's been a non-linear experience, mm-hmm. my learning as a dancer. I feel that I've gone through stages of confidence and mm-hmm. stages of self-consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I think those haven't always corresponded to the times when I've made the most improvements in my dance, actually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But there has been some correlation between improvements in the dance and improvements in my confidence and self-image as a dancer. Mm-hmm. But yes, I remember it, I think, I feel as though it started to come together as a social dance very quickly. Mm. and in the sense that I was already really enjoying dancing socially as a beginner. Mm -hmm. I had many very, very blissful tandas, Mm -hmm. and in that sense it was already working, and I think in that sense it can work for uh, anyone who's a beginner. After maybe just a few months Mm -hmm. uh, or a year at most, you can start to have the feeling that at least with some people, Mm -hmm. you're having really nice dances, and you're not constantly thinking about how you're positioning your body, how you're doing the technique, etc. Mm-hmm. But you just have your eyes closed and are happily floating along. Yeah. Especially for followers. Yes. I'm sure it's a little harder for leaders, but I think even leaders can have this feeling. Right. Because they can get that feedback from a follower who enjoys dancing with them. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't matter really in an objective sense at that stage whether your dancing is good or not mm-hmm. or whether anybody watching would Mm -hmm. rated highly or not, or whether a more advanced dancer would enjoy dancing with you. Mm -hmm. It's that moment at which there are people, at least one person, preferably more than one, Mm -hmm. who loves dancing with you. That's the first, I think, big ego-boosting, confidence-boosting step.
0: Mm Yeah, I also wanted to pick your brain a little bit about, about milongas. And uh, a lot of our, our listeners, are they're relatively new to tango, and they're just starting to come to milongas. And as you know, the milongas and, and using your dance socially is so important in, in our development as dancers. So what advice would you give to some of those newer dancers in making their milonga experiences more enjoyable?
1: I would say, first of all, when you first go to the milonga, your very first milonga, don't aim to dance. Ah. Go to two or three Malongas at least before you try to start dancing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just go observe, listen to the music, drink some wine, mm-hmm. sit with some friends and chat to them or sit with some more advanced level dancers of, of your own role
2: mm-hmm.
1: or your own sex and, and ask them to tell you which dancers they enjoy watching on the floor. Okay. So get a little bit familiar with the feel of just being at the Malonga before you decide to start dancing, mm-hmm. and then I would say when you feel you're ready to start dancing, don't leave it too long. I would say try not to leave it longer than six months before mm-hmm. you start actually dancing, Okay. but go to the Malonga. you can go right from the very outset mm-hmm. to get a feel for the atmosphere, the music, the etiquette of the place. Mm-hmm. I think that will help once you're confident enough to go out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, if you can, uh, if there's a pre-Milonga beginner's class, go to that class. Mm-hmm. It will help you meet people you can potentially dance with, and it will also allow you to warm up. Mm-hmm. And then, if, if you're not able to do that, still turn up early. Turn up at the beginning of the Milonga, mm-hmm. when there are fewer people out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And... Keep it as simple as you possibly can, hmm. especially for leaders. Yeah. Of course, for followers, you may not have an option. Mm-hmm. But for leaders in particular, keep it really, really simple. Simpler than you think you need to make it. There's no requirement to do any special movements.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Try to walk and pause. Mm. Try to put some pauses, like complete stops, into your dance, mm-hmm. where you're stopped, not, not just for one beat, but for three or four beats. Mm. So get used to being able to confidently walk, confidently stop, and maybe have one little movement you do, like going to cross or doing an auto cortado. Mm-hmm. But don't try to do anything beyond that. Yeah. Just yeah. try to get a confidence in those simple movements. Mm-hmm. And I would say for both leaders and followers, you don't apologize for being a beginner. Right. I think if somebody asks you to dance and you don't think they have seen you on the floor and they don't know you're a beginner, it's okay to tell them you're a beginner. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that may influence when they dance with you. Mm -hmm. So, for example, they may decide that they don't want to dance with you at that moment, but they'll wait for simpler music. Yeah. Or they'll wait for a moment when the floor is less crowded. Mm Mm-hmm. So, give them that choice. If they say no thank you to you, mm-hmm. be aware that that is not no thank you forever.
2: <laughs> exactly. That may,
1: be, <laughs> that may be, I will dance with you a little later on. Yep. Or, you know, I'll dance with you on another night, not mm-hmm. tonight, but, you know, later we'll dance. Mm-hmm. But don't feel apologetic about your dance. Mm-hmm. I would also say, particularly leaders, if somebody breaks tanda with you, I.e. Mm-hmm. if they stop dancing with you before the tanda is over,
2: mm-hmm.
1: don't get offended.
2: Right.
1: Um, this may be for your own safety and good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, maybe you're you're just not ready to dance a full mm-hmm. tanda in the milonga yet. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. And don't mm-hmm. hold it against the person. Yeah. It's a honest feedback that for now it's maybe not working so well or just not working so well with them. Mm-hmm. As you get more advanced, this will stop happening to you.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: just don't sweat it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I remember before, um, when I was starting out, before I, I learned what you had just told us, I remember getting crushed with every, every rejection. <laughs> Looking back yeah, back.
1: <laughs> you will get rejected. Yeah. And sometimes it's not about your dancing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is about your dancing. And if it is, then just remember, uh, you're, you're not a bad dancer, you're just a beginner. Mm-hmm. By definition, a beginner is not a bad dancer. Mm -hmm. As I think I once wrote in my blog, it takes years to become a bad dancer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good point. And that's a great segue into the next topic I want to get to. I'm sure those out there listening are looking forward to hearing about it as well. So, Iona, what motivated you to start your famous blog?
1: So I started the blog in January of... 2011, I think,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and actually, I I had never done any more any creative writing before. Mm-hmm. So before I started the blog, I'd been an academic okay. uh, for about 11 years when mm-hmm. I went to the to Argentina, mm-hmm. and I had always believed that I was a completely wait, which way round is it, left-brained person. <laughs> okay, that I was critical and analytical and pedantic and mm-hmm. uh, that i just didn't have a creative bone in my body mm. you know i was a, a cynical down to earth analytical kind of rational person and that was it mm-hmm. and the only writing i could do was analytical writing okay and it didn't help that i studied english literature actually because i see i was so daunted by all the amazing writers mm. who i studied and analyzed Mm -hmm. that um, I feel that that really stymied my own writing, that and my self-image. And that changed when I came to Argentina and I began dancing tango. Mm -hmm. Even though quite quickly I realized that I wasn't a great dancer, Mm -hmm. I realized that I had this creative need and impulse. Mm -hmm. And I decided to start writing a diary. Mm -hmm. And the first few entries I wrote, I... First, I posted a couple of entries as Facebook notes, mm-hmm. and then I decided to put them in online in a blog form on WordPress. Mm-hmm. This was the original blog, which I've actually taken offline because I'm creating a, a book out of the oh, nice. out of that original blog.
2: All right.
1: We'll come to book writing later. I hope. Sure. Absolutely.
2: Um,
1: at first, WordPress gives you stats on readers. Mm-hmm. And at first, I had, I think, only 12 regular readers mm-hmm. for about the first few months. Yeah. Only 12 views
0: mm-hmm.
1: and no comments or interaction at all. Mm-hmm. So I saw it as a kind of diary. Okay. And then it developed from there, and the entries got longer and less factual. There was less factual recording and more. The style became more poetic. Now mm. my style is very, very flowery and metaphorical. <laughs> Some people think it's insane. Oh. Like, you are an insane person. <laughs> and others who like it find it very poetic. Right. I do sometimes write about more down-to-earth topics, but mostly mm-hmm. I write in a quite creative literary style. hmm and it, beca- it that developed over the years, and eventually I also started writing uh, short fictions. Oh, great. That's what happened with that blog. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was 2011 or 2012 when mm-hmm. I decided to transfer the writings over to Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I had opened a Facebook account for Terpsichoral Tango Addict, which mm-hmm. was my blog pseudonym. Right. Very unwieldy, I know, but it's almost impossible to find a unique name on WordPress. Right. <laughs> Every name that had anything to do with Tango had already been taken. Mm-hmm. So eventually I came up with that tongue twister. Yeah. So I opened a Facebook account for that and just to publicize when the blog entries were mm-hmm. because I was very keen on keeping the blog anonymous. I see. And eventually I found that people were, if I, wrote a small thing on the Facebook it had a lot more views and a lot more interaction Mm -hmm. than if they had to click on a link so I stopped actually writing on the website okay and started writing just straight into Facebook as these preternaturally long status updates Mm -hmm. which were basically essays and sometimes even fictions yeah but I just wrote them straight into the status update box. Yeah. Usually without editing, actually. Usually I write late at night, post melonga, mm-hmm. drunk, and uh, <laughs> the next morning I have to read through and take out a couple of typos and things. But, okay. um, mm-hmm. but they're not, um, I'm quite a fluent writer. They're not things that I have mulled over for okay. hours and drafted and redrafted. Mm-hmm. It's my, it's the kind of, I think as Argentines would call it, the vomit. They always say, just vomit it all out. Okay. just let everything spill out. Mm -hmm. It's a really horrible image, but (laughs) it's the kind of outspillings of my feelings and thoughts. Yeah. My late night feelings and thoughts.
0: Excellent. Yeah, as those who follow your blog already know, there's often a lot of interaction and discussions that come out of your blog entries. So what are some subjects you've written about that have elicited some very strong reactions?
1: Well, you know, I would say to start with, I would say that the number of likes reactions and comments that Mm -hmm. an entry gets Mm -hmm. is not at all proportionate to how many people are reading. So I discovered this by accident. um, But looking at some stats that I managed to compile. I think most entries probably have four or five thousand readers on average, uh-huh. and but there may be only twenty people who like and two right. people who comment. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think the entries that are most read have the fewest comments because people are afraid to comment publicly mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. It, if the subject is too personal or too controversial. But I would say that the essays that the or the blog entries that get the most controversy are usually either to do with partner choice. Mm-hmm. So basically, is it okay to say no to people you don't want to dance with or not? Mm. And that's actually quite a complicated question. And people right. are very have very strong feelings mm-hmm. in both directions Yeah. on that issue. Also, depending on how you frame it, you will get different answers. So that's one thing I think that people always feel strongly about. And another topic is sex and tango. I see. I write a lot of kind of comparisons of tango and sex. Mm -hmm. They're not equivalences. So I'm not trying to say that tango is like foreplay. Yeah. (laughs) But I feel as though there's interesting areas of overlap, similarities, reminiscences, and also differences that Mm -hmm. can shed light on both uh, subjects. Mm. And those also can be quite controversial and i would say that on the whole argentines want to kind of emphasize the sexual Mm -hmm. and they feel that i pussyfoot around too much yeah and you know they're not afraid to kind of talk about things in an erotically charged way that i actually wouldn't use that for me is too much yeah um Whereas Americans are sometimes quite horrified that I've even mentioned the two things in the same sentence. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would say those, those things always get a lot of response. And also there's, there are a lot of strong feelings that people have about the yeah. practice of cabaseo or murada cabaseo, as it's more correctly called, uh-huh. as to whether they, whether they like it, endorse it, think it works... Feel it's egalitarian, etc., or not.
0: Mm. Yeah, what I've. And, re- sorry. And guys.
1: I think also um, probably the entries that people like the best mm-hmm. or that get the most heartfelt responses are the ones I wrote the most drunk. <laughs> oh, really? Number of glasses of wine before writing. Okay. And somehow people's ability to connect with what I say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's yeah, a, right I, what,
1: drunk, edit sober. Yeah, sorry. Right. Go
0: on. Yeah, yeah. Right, drunk, edits uh, edits sober. <laughs> yeah, what I've really appreciated about your blogs, and I'm sure I'm not alone in in thinking this, is that uh they're very thought provoking. You know, even if I'm mm-hmm. not commenting on on what you're saying, I'm always it, you know it gets it gets my brain working, and I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of your readers are uh, have that have a similar reaction to that. I so. Hope so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So as you've Gone on this blogging adventure. What what has has anything really taken you by surprise?
1: That's a good question. I think one
0: thing is that I can never tell if an entry is going to be controversial
1: or not. Mm. Even if it's on a controversial subject, I can't tell. So often I write something that I think people are really going to object to, Mm -hmm. or be shocked by, and they're all like, "Oh yeah, of course." And then I write something that seems completely uh, banal to me and people are up in arms in disagreement Mm. so I think that is very interesting Mm -hmm. and I think I also had underestimated before I started blogging just how much people read their own situations into what I'm describing which is fair enough because Mm -hmm. what I'm describing is usually quite general Mm -hmm. and often when they're responding they're not responding so much to what I wrote Mm -hmm. but to their own extrapolation, which is based on a very, very specific situation with specific people doing specific Mm -hmm. things in their local tango scene. Mm. So I noticed that too. I do also have a really, really short temper online, which I'm not proud of. And so I have got into arguments with people. I have also blocked people, you know, Mm. and I wish I hadn't. I think that was very silly and I have mellowed a little bit. Okay. But for some reason, I can easily fly off the handle in an Um, argument. Online, in real life not, but online, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. have a much um, shorter trigger. Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: apologize if anybody (laughs) is listening. (laughs) I really apologize to you.
0: Yeah, no, I'm um, sure that's that's understandable. You're you're definitely not alone in that. Yeah, and also at the same time, I don't know if you found this, but when people are uh, commenting, sometimes it's awfully difficult to to ascertain their tone of voice through text.
1: Yes, of course. Yes, yeah. yes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. And I think it's many people sound quite stern, but it's just because they are not used to. They're not that good at expressing themselves, at conveying their their tone of voice.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So you have to ignore that sense that you have of a tone, um, and just assume that it's just information. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it's very clear. You complete idiot. (laughs) How the f*** could you, am I allowed to say
0: f*** on this? Uh, Yeah, that's fine. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll bleep it out, it's okay. You mentioned earlier that when you blog, you mainly sit down and let your feelings roll. Do you at least pre-plan the topic on which you're about to write, or is everything done in the moment?
1: Um, Not really. Sometimes I think that I will write several pieces on the same topic, Mm -hmm. because what I have to say is too long to fit in one piece. Mm. Um, But I must stop doing that, because I end up writing part one of the topic, uh-huh. And then it never continues.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so apart from that, it's just things I notice, I'm thinking about. But I don't make notes. When I'm describing events, I'm describing them from memory.
2: Mm.
1: I mean, I think that's an aspect of writing which some, some people are familiar with.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So once I was dancing with a friend of mine, and he suddenly panicked mid-tender, and he said, I think you must be analyzing, working out how to describe this and thinking of metaphors as you're dancing. <laughs> and that's not how it works at all. You know, when mm. I'm dancing, I'm just dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards, I'm musing on the topic.
0: Okay, I'm going to circle back to writing in a little bit, um, but I want to switch things up for now. So, Iona, what's some memorable advice you've received from some of your instructors?
1: Mm. I think the thing that took a really long time for me to find was confidence as a dancer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's confidence, it's not bravado, so you can't kind of, there's a, you can't just fake it. So mm-hmm. if you are off balance or confused or have bad posture, it's going to be hard for you to be confident. Mm-hmm. Because stable confidence comes from knowledge of what you're doing, comes from mm-hmm. competence. Mm. But I think that when you make a gesture as a dancer, so for example, if you do a little decoration or something, Mm -hmm. um, you always have to do it more clearly and generally bigger than you think. Otherwise, it's not seen, it's not felt, it's not registered, and it feels like a nervous little tick. Mm -hmm. You need to be less mousy and find a more powerful wave expressions which can be bigger or can be just more precise mm-hmm. but you need to stand up straighter than you think mm-hmm. no matter how straight you think you're standing, you need yeah. to be taller you need to point your toes more mm-hmm. and in general put a lot lots of your energy into shaping your feet
2: mm-hmm.
1: otherwise they look very sloppy very quickly Yeah, and I think you have to do more kind of lifting the upper body, mm-hmm. all those things that you think you're doing, you need to do. You you always need to do more of them. Mm-hmm. I think that's that was very helpful advice. Mm-hmm. I also think that it was helpful that I started learning with Gachi Fernandez, mm-hmm. and her advice was surprisingly, considering she was so ungentle in her pedagogical methods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was merciless in her pedagogical methods, but she was obsessed with gentleness and softness oh. when you were dancing mm-hmm. and so she was obsessed with getting rid of as much of tension as possible
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so being able to respond to things that were very very soft that were barely just a little hint and having a very soft relaxed embrace mm-hmm. And I think my brace was, you know, in many ways too soft and relaxed. It was a little collapsed. Uh-huh. But because I was not tense, I danced an awful lot um, mm. at beginner and early intermediate stages because I wasn't pushing, pulling, grabbing on and those kinds of things, or at least not that much. I wasn't trying to create a frame. We were always looking for the most relaxed mm-hmm. posture. I see. the most relaxed way of doing the thing and I think that was a helpful way to start
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, but uh, my old partner Aaron completely disagrees oh. he thinks you should it's better to start too tense and then relax gradually huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are different schools of thought on this
0: mm. mm-hmm yeah, I, 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 I sort of have a grass is greener mentality on that. I started off very tense and I was wishing that I could be more relaxed. And then I had some people like you know, who were more, too relaxed and wishing they could be more more, you know, more tone in the embrace. So yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah,
1: you don't want to, I mean, you want to, it to feel like a lovely, soft, snuggly hug. Right. You want to be Mr. Snuggle Bunny. <laughs> I think that's important. Mm-hmm. But you also don't want to be sleeping. Right. Especially as a follower. You Mm -hmm. don't want to just drape yourself on the person and be kind of sleeping.
0: (laughs) Dreaming. Right. Right. So there's always something new to learn when it comes to tango. Perhaps a new figure or a deeper level of understanding that's attached to an idea that we're already familiar with. So Iona, what's something new about tango that you've learned recently?
1: Recently, so I would say that if I can expand the term "recently" a little bit, sure. Because I feel as though my dance really was transformed about, I guess, three years ago it mm-hmm. began. I decided to do what I called it my postgraduate tango year, <laughs> okay. Where I was, uh, you know, by 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 really good luck, I had the opportunity to study very intensely. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, my wonderful partner, Aaron Zvi, mm-hmm. I, well, his real name actually is Aaron Viner, but okay. on Facebook he's called Aaron Zvi. I, he doesn't actually like being named, so, but he, he'll he'll get over it, um, <laughs> okay. who I call the slow Semite in the blog. Everybody already knows that that is him, and we started with Carlitos Perez. Mm-hmm. So we started you with know, a really classic Vishore Kisa style. Mm-hmm. We took a lot of private lessons and we practiced almost every day. Mm. And then I also had two other partners during that period. The first was Glenn Royce, mm-hmm. um, who was, quite, was a very technically experienced dancer with a, with a lot of stage training and background. Okay. That was very helpful to me working with him and we took also some private lessons Mm -hmm. and then thirdly i worked with julio montoya adila he's Mm -hmm. a colombian uh dancer with a very long trajectory he's a dancer dancer you know he he, uh, has a ballet and um, jazz dance and contemporary background and Mm -hmm. um He's also, his style is also kind of the opposite of the Carlitos style. Ah. It's a much more straight-legged, sort of elegant, a little bit stage-influenced style. Okay. And I took private lessons with him, and I funded that by the two of us taught together. Mm -hmm. So we did private lessons together. Mm -hmm. Really, he taught and I assisted. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't an equality between us. He's a much, uh, much better dancer than I am. I was the student, just to make that very clear. (laughs) But, you know, it was an arrangement that enabled me to train with him a lot more than I would otherwise have been able to afford to. Mm -hmm. And I think, first of all, it was just that amount of training was really helpful to me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they were really good partners as far as feedback was concerned. Aaron was a partic- was particularly wonderful. I think I learned more from him than anybody else, actually. Mm-hmm. But also, I worked with Glenn for a shorter period, so I'll just stick to talking about Aaron and Julio mainly. Mm-hmm. They have kind of opposite styles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. So Aaron walks in two tracks, Julio walks in one track. Ah. Aaron tries to walk straight, Julio walks with contrabody motion.
2: Mm.
1: Aaron has a lot of bending and, and straightening. dipping and rising, so this Mm -hmm. is very classic visual stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of bent knee stuff. Mm -hmm. Leo dances in kind of much more one level plane. Um, And it's always with really stretched legs and up, up, up. Mm. It's got a much more balletic feel. Mm -hmm. So, and I think even though that might seem very confusing to work on two styles at once, Mm -hmm. I think it was really helpful to me for understanding and controlling the body Mm -hmm. and knowing what I was doing, because things had to be incorporated, but nothing could be just automatized. Right. Because, you know, obviously I had to be able to incorporate doing a lot of knee bending for dancing with Aaron Mm -hmm. and for learning from Carlitos, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't automatize that, because if I bent my knees, Julio was like, What are you doing? (laughs) So I think that was extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. And also Aaron was such a a wonderful human being Mm -hmm. that I feel he also taught me a lot about how to be more patient, Mm -hmm. how to be less critical of the partner, how to Mm -hmm. respect your partner's learning process and your own learning process. Mm -hmm. So not to beat yourself up or to beat the partner up, but to, to give kind of time Mm-hmm. And that really helped me to have fewer arguments, to have better self-confidence, to be less apologetic for where my own dance is, mm-hmm. and many other psychological things, which I think were very facilitating as well. Yeah. So I feel as though you know, there's a, a lot still to learn, but mm-hmm. that was a watershed for my yeah. dancing.
0: Excellent. Yeah, isn't it fascinating how people can have just completely different dance styles, but they're just wonderful to dance with anyway.
1: Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because quite quite frequently, a lot of students will ask, oh, what's the right way to do this? Should I, you know, should I bend my knees? I mean, that that in a way is kind of a loaded question. I mean, unintentionally on their part, of course, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. people who do kind of go up and down, and there are those who are a little bit more on one level. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we all have to Um, discover this in the course of our own learning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you develop your preferences. Mm -hmm. And recently I compared to creating a a wardrobe. You look to see what will go with the clothes that you already have. Oh. You know, when you're shopping, it's nice to see the range of things. And maybe you'll get inspired and wear something you wouldn't normally wear. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you'll think this top already goes with trousers that I have. Mm. So I feel that there's a kind of selection process that you do. And I feel that I've almost never not got anything out of a group class. Okay. Um, Even if I took a group class very recently and, Mm -hmm. you know, some of it I found very counterintuitive, even though I think this couple's dancing is very beautiful. Mm -hmm. I found him hard to dance with. I didn't find the you know I didn't feel like this lead made sense mm-hmm. but at the same time then there were a few details that I learned which were really lovely very helpful very mm-hmm. useful and so it was it was worth it there aren't that many things in tango so if mm-hmm. you take a class if you take even a weekend workshop and you come out with one thing that you mm-hmm. can
0: use yeah. that's a lot yes
1: you come up with one, come out with one thing that will improve your arch or something. And that's a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. Um, even if you didn't like anything else about the workshop. I think people, people don't realize that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that above a certain level of competence of the teachers, mm-hmm. you can learn useful things from, from everybody.
0: Right. Yeah. And even if you didn't particularly enjoy a workshop, you kind of learn something about yourself, about your own learning style as a student.
1: Um, yes, although I feel like people usually already know that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of the different learning styles theory. I see. So uh, I know that it's conventional to think some people are visual learners, some are auditory mm-hmm. learners, mm-hmm. some are kinesthetic, etc. I'm more inclined to believe the studies that suggest it has a lot more to do with what you're learning than the style of learner you are. So Mm. nobody is going to learn tango best by going to a series of lectures, for example. You know, I feel like for tango, you need to move. You need to preferably feel the teacher's body let the teacher manipulate your body Mm -hmm. so you get a, a, a real sense of how it is. You need to watch as well, but most of all, you need to work out how it feels when you move in those certain ways mm-hmm. and know what you're trying to achieve. Ah. So you're not trying to bend your knees. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> you're trying to um, achieve a certain dipping and rising effect or mm-hmm. have a very, very stable stance in the hero or, or whatever it might be. And you're using bent knees as a way of getting that feeling. Mm. Um, so what you have to know is what is the feeling you're aiming for
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and how can you produce that feeling? Oh. So you work from the inside out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so earlier mentioned, I know, you are working on a book. Uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit more about that? Okay, so um,
1: I have, for a long time, wanted to make a book collection from the mm-hmm. blog, and the main reason I didn't is that I am really terrible at organizational things. <laughs> so I'm very bad at working out how to publish a book, how Mm -hmm. to, you know, typeset it and get a cover designed and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I always got totally daunted by that aspect of it, not by producing text, but by all of the kind of practical aspects. Right. So I kept putting it off and putting it off. Um, But now um, I have a contract which isn't yet signed, but I, I think it will be. Okay. Either in its current, or maybe with one or two small adjustments. But I'm planning to now publish, I have really three volumes of writing, nice. which is still only like 2% of my output,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because I really have written a, a lot. Mm-hmm. And the first book, which we're planning to do in probably in two volumes, mm-hmm. um, I'm planning to publish with Michael Evoca okay. of the who people might know for his books, Tango Stories, Musical Secrets, his mm. first book on Tango music, and since then he's written books on uh, the four great orchestras, Darienzo, Gisarli, Pugliese, and Troilo, Troilo. his fourth okay. book on. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to publish it with Michael as my editor and publisher. Nice. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. And I would like to do it in, in two volumes because I'm already cutting it very heavily. Mm-hmm. And the two kind of short volumes, the first, the book is called Our Tango World. Mm-hmm. And the first volume is going to be Learning, Teaching and Dancing. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be about lessons and the milonga.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the second book is a little more philosophical,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, giving it the subtitle Identity and Community. Okay. So it's kind of nasal-gazing fluff about (laughs) what it means to dance tango, how it changes you, how we interrelate with other tango people, Mm -hmm. and some practical stuff about how to have a successful tango community. Mm. So that's the current book project. I also have quite a few fictions with a tango theme now. And I would like to create a third book, which I don't know yet, you know whether Michael will want to publish this, mm-hmm. or what, how to get it published. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, I would like to create this third book, which will be all fictional writings,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a few also just a few poetic descriptions that are from real life but are kind of retold as stories. Mm-hmm. So it's not discursive writing at all. Okay. And um, that book, I um, i have given it the working title Tango Tales oh Um, and I'm going to arrange it geographically hmm so I'm going to start in Buenos Aires Mm -hmm. and then I will have stories set in various places in Europe and the States Mm -hmm. and the final about a quarter of the book is going to be sci-fi and (laughs) it will be set either in in an alternative dystopia okay um, or uh, off world okay so I'll go off-world for the last quarter.
0: That's it's great. It's a very,
1: it's a kind of dead-end genre that nobody else has, is crazy enough to have explored. Mm-hmm. Right. Tango-themed science fiction.
0: Why not? Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Wow, So a lot of really, really fascinating projects we have on the horizon. That sounds really exciting, Iona. Uh, so you, as a tango dancer, you've created this this blog and all these wonderful thoughts that have gotten people thinking now has I guess the volume of writing that you produce regarding tango has that affected or changed or influenced your dancing um I don't think it's influenced my
1: dancing I think occasionally not so often it's influenced my relationships with people okay so one thing that happened came out of the blog is that people started asking me to teach Mm -hmm. because they like the way I describe things in the blog Mm -hmm. And um, so they thought I would be good at giving them feedback in person and teaching them. Mm -hmm. And I think I started doing that about five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And really it was a kind of, I would say it was a sort of fortunate example of Dunning-Kruger. You know that famous phenomenon where you think you're better than you are because you you don't realize just how much there is to the thing that you're going to do okay and so I think in many ways I wasn't really competent enough dancer to be doing that mm-hmm. but I had a certain kind of confidence mm-hmm. and I'm really glad I did because I had wonderful experiences mm-hmm. and I think at worst in some places I didn't make much impact but mm-hmm. I don't think I actually did anybody any harm okay at the very worst and mm-hmm. some people definitely did benefit mm-hmm. um, I do believe anyway that teaching is about 10% the teacher and 90% the learner, Mm. both for good and ill. That's not to say the teacher's role isn't crucial, Right. but you cannot make somebody learn. If you're learning, the credit is yours. You know, Mm. most of the learning will take place after the class is over. Yes. And most of the not learning also is to do with people's stubborn attitudes, lack of confidence, you know, many other things that are impeding them. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the teacher, I don't want to underestimate the importance of teachers. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible to be an autodidact in Tango. Yeah. You really, really need your teachers. But still, Mm -hmm. the teachers alone will do Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. It's you who has to do the thing. The teacher is like somebody with a little GPS, but you are driving the car.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good way of putting Um, it.
1: Yeah. If you just have them reading out the directions, that will not Mm -hmm. get you to the place. You're yeah. going. You have to take this, that steering wheel. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity to go and visit places and teach because of the blog, and that was amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I made a lot of friends because of the blog, and a lot of people had a great deal of goodwill towards me. Mm-hmm. And I got spoiled in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to many places and got wined and dined and driven around and oh, stayed nice. in people's houses. And mm-hmm. you know, I met such such. I made some really, really wonderful acquaintances,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially in smaller places. And in, in larger places, it's hard for me to compete because they already have good teachers, often, or and they already have many teachers visiting, mm-hmm. passing through, etc. Um, In smaller places, they're more in need. So they're also more appreciative. That's natural. But, uh, you know, I also made wonderful friends in New York. And I had fantastic dances in all these places. Mm. Um, So that was wonderful. There have been a few few small kind of negative things where I have fallen out with people Mm. who I might otherwise have been friends with, either because I was rude to them in the mm-hmm. comments section of the blog, <laughs> which was probably my fault, you know, sometimes it was really, I was overreacting, mm-hmm. or they were overreacting to something I wrote, and instead of pacifying them, I went on the war part, so I blame oh. myself for that,
2: you know. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that it's been a learning experience mm-hmm. uh, how it is to actually write a blog and respond to people. Mm-hmm. You can have 50 people asking you the same question, but you can't tell the 50th person you mm-hmm. can't kind of explode with impatience at the fiftieth person. <laughs> <laughs> it's not their fault. Right.
2: Um,
1: so that has happened occasionally,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and occasionally also, I have written things which people thought generally um, without without foundation, but occasionally rightly mm-hmm. thought were describing their specific scene,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and got very upset about. So I wrote a piece, an allegorical piece, which I called The Land of the Long-Term Beginner. (laughs) And I had just been on a really long tour. Mm -hmm. I'd been to many smaller places in the U.S. and in the U.K., but Mm -hmm. I was actually in Cambridge when I wrote the piece. Mm -hmm. But the idea was not that this piece was about Cambridge. Mm -hmm. This was just where I happened to be, but it it was really a kind of allegory of things that I had... Noticed in lots of places. Mm-hmm. There was nothing about it that was intended to be specific to right. Cambridge, but people thought it was. Oh wow! And actually, not only that, but a few other people thought it was their scene as well, <laughs> and got really upset. Oh. I, I, of people actually wrote in one person said I know this post is about Berlin and you know you are so spot on in all the bad things you said about Berlin and I oh haven't even gosh. been to Berlin at that stage I think <laughs> um, so it was that was funny and occasionally I have actually written about specific people places I try to avoid naming people mm-hmm. or allowing them to be recognizable unless the description is flattering
2: mm-hmm.
1: but once or twice even flattering descriptions people have been have not really liked Uh, And it's caused some friction. mm. But I would say those have been quite rare experiences. In general, it's been positive. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think that at all at first. At first, I was absolutely terrified of losing my anonymity. Mm -hmm. And I thought that if people knew that I was the one writing it, they would hate me.
2: Mm.
1: I thought they wouldn't be friends with me. I thought they wouldn't dance with me. So I was very careful to guard my anonymity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then actually when people started inviting me to teach, I realized, well, I have to choose between staying anonymous and and going to teach on the basis of the blog. Mm -hmm. So I chose going to teach. And then Facebook also banned anonymous accounts. And it made me re-log in um, by scanning in my passport. And they took my username as the name on my passport. (laughs) So that was the end of the anonymity. And I rather Mm -hmm. regretted it because I feel as though Mm-hmm. Even when people know it's me, mm-hmm. it sounds a little different when it's Terpsy who said it, yeah. who is just yeah. an every woman tangera, than when it's me personally who said it. I see. I, I feel that even when people know who you are, that it's mm-hmm. a little different. But maybe I'm overthinking that. Okay. But most, mostly it was very positive, mm-hmm. the response. A couple of times, you know, I try never to write gossip. And I mm-hmm. try never to write things that haven't directly affected me. Mm-hmm. But among things that directly affect me are people I partnered. Mm. And once or twice I wrote in kind of upset and drunkenness, as, as I always write, <laughs> is, my, is my usual state you know, mm-hmm. of existence. I wrote things that were kind of indiscreet. Oh. Um, I didn't name the person, but anybody who knew me would know who th- would be able to guess. Mm-hmm. And I regret that. So that has occasionally happened, too. They were, I never write other people's stories or secrets. These were things that happened to me with the dance partner. And they were mm-hmm. specifically dance-related things, mm-hmm. but things that perhaps I should have actually just waited, fictionalized, written about much later so that nobody would be able to guess who I was talking about, and I could still have conveyed the same ideas.
2: Mm.
1: So a few times I've made that mistake, and I regret that. Okay. But mostly, the, mostly it's been uh, incredibly positive in relationships, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's affected my dancing. I don't think it's made any difference to my dancing. Okay. The only difference it's made is I've had opportunities to dance with people I probably wouldn't otherwise have been able to because they were fans of the blog.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah, sounds like quite an adventure that you've, that you've been on. You touched upon uh, the many, many tango communities that you've visited or been a part of. Is there or are there a series of qualities that make a tango community good? In your opinion.
1: Yes, I would say it depends on the size. Actually, Mm -hmm. when when I say community, I think something small. Okay. So I feel like the difference between a tango community and a tango scene is size. I see. So I wouldn't say New York had a tango community. Okay. It's not touchy-feely like that.
0: Right.
2: Um, You know,
1: it's those motherfuckers over there and those motherfuckers (laughs) here. You know, it's the scene. Um, It's not a community. (laughs) But, you know, if you go upstate to Ithaca, then you have a community. Yeah. Um, in a community, most of the main players know, or all the main players know each other, let's mm-hmm. say. And probably a few of them have been married to each other. <laughs> and I think, so I would say the number one thing is to have a unified approach, mm-hmm. um, even if you, uh, not to the dancing, but just to what you offer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the community in Bombay, where I'm, cu- where I'm currently living,
2: mm-hmm.
1: has found it really hard to just have one website where all the events are scheduled. Uh-huh. If you're in Bombay, you're going to find it rather hard to find out whether there's a Malanga on or not. Okay. You should then contact me and I will tell you, mm-hmm. but you won't be able to find out easily. I see. And if you ask some people, they will say no because it's not them longer. And others will say oh, yes because it is. I so see. that is one problem that occurs. Not It's not unique to here. It's very mm-hmm. frequent in mm-hmm. small communities that really you need to just publicize all events, mm-hmm. whether you approve of the event or like it or like the dancers, like the teachers, whatever. mm mm-hmm. Publicize all events, have one web page, one calendar for everything, including your enemy's thing <laughs> you know, that you really don't want people to know is going on. It's a rising tide that is gonna float all boats. Yes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you and and try not to have to schedule clashes.
2: hmm
1: uh, especially if you don't have if you don't have many good dancers in your community, don't divide them between different malongas on different on the same night. Ah. You know, have one malonga for everybody. Mm-hmm. And the same with workshops and other things. Mm-hmm. Of course, when these kinds of things happen, it can be hard to pinpoint whose fault it is
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know when these kind of rivalries happen. Yeah. but it's a real curse in smaller communities right And then I would say in the US in particular where lack of men is an issue, women need to learn to lead. Yeah. not everybody, mm. but there should be it should be very much encouraged right from the start. Mm-hmm. Don't wait until the person is already a competent follower because, well, it's like my friend who has only one child and her mm-hmm. son is now eight. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you, do you think you'll have another kid? And she said, well, if somebody gave me an eight-year-old, I would be <laughs> fine with that. But I'm not going to go through the whole process from scratch again. No. I just can't imagine, you know, going back through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a little bit of an element of that. Mm-hmm. let them have twin eight-year-olds, rather than having to start again. I don't think it will really stop them from being able to dance. On the contrary, I think it's very helpful, will help with the balance in class, will mm-hmm. help with the kind of relationships between people. Mm-hmm. So I would say, if possible, learn both roles in the outset. I wish I'd done that, because my leading is still at a very rudimentary stage. Okay. And every time I've thought I'll work on my leading, I had dance partners who were men, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had to spend my time working with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I've never had consistency in that. And I wish I'd just done it right from the start. So that's another thing I would say. And then I would say that it's important that in the small community, you have to do a certain kind of what I call community service tandis. Okay. I don't think you need to do this in a large scene. So when okay. people are complaining in a very large scene about people not dancing with them mm-hmm. or not dancing with beginners, I'm less sympathetic. Okay. Because I think if the scene is large enough, the beginners can have their own partners among themselves. Mm-hmm. So if the community is very small, mm-hmm. then you're going to have to dance with some people you don't want to dance with if you want to keep the community alive. Yeah. And I call those community service tanders.
0: <laughs> community service tanders, okay.
1: But on the other hand, I would mm-hmm. also say that you can't force. So you can only do your part, mm-hmm. but don't get obsessed with who other people do and don't dance with. Mm-hmm. So you want more community service tanders? you do those tanders. Yeah. Don't get all annoyed because that person over there isn't doing as many as they, mm-hmm. you think they should or whatever because it's also really crucial that you don't dance on demand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That your community is a place where people at every level in both sexes fe- always feel comfortable saying no thank you. Mm-hmm. I think that's crucial. Yeah. And then I would also say try if you can to treat it not just as one other dance in a dance mm-hmm. school but to get people engaged with the lyrics, the history, the traditions, etc. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who in the very first class, he teaches Mirada Cabaceo before mm-hmm. they've done any dancing at all, yeah. um, and it actually works great, because mm-hmm. it's an easy thing to do, so it gives mm-hmm. little confidence, And so the first thing he does is tells them, this is how we ask for dances. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to dance with somebody, you know, don't give them the gesture. Mm -hmm. And that's always okay. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I remember also, I think, at one stage when Hannah Louise Poston was teaching, she made her beginners. um, This was years ago, so maybe Hannah no longer does this, I don't know. Mm. But I liked the time. I thought it was very thoughtful. She made her beginners also sign a little contract okay. where it said that we'll all work together at this practica. But mm. if somebody from the group doesn't dance with, with me at the milonga, I'm not going to be resentful. I'm still going to be friendly and nice to them. Oh. It's not going to be an issue. Okay. And I thought that was excellent. Mm-hmm. So there's both. You do have to do some... Tenders, you know, sacrifice yourself for the name in the name of the community. <laughs> Otherwise, the community is not going to be feasible if it's very small. Right. But you should also—it should be a place where you're free to say no. Thank you. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm, at the moment. I'm visiting uh, Pune, which is my favourite community here in India, mm-hmm. and uh, where my the guy who I'm currently trying to work with as a dance partner nice. uh, lives here also. It's mm-hmm. about three, four, three or four hours' drive from Bombay. Okay. And at the Malonga, a couple of nights ago, we had a Malonga for a visiting couple. Mhm. And um, the visiting couple gave a performance which was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful. They're great. They're a wonderful couple. I 100% recommend them. I won't name them here because I'm talking at a more personal level. But sure. um But. I want to stress that I really Mm -hmm. recommend this couple. And they looked really exhausted. I mean, probably they were really Mm -hmm. exhausted, you know. And after the performance, they danced, maybe each of them danced a couple of tandas with people Mm -hmm. locally. Mm -hmm. And then they were sitting, chatting, you know, looking just tired, just chilling at the Mm Malonga. And unlike in most small communities I've been to, not all, but in most, Mm-hmm. Nobody afterwards was saying, oh, they didn't dance with me, and they hardly dance with us, right. and they didn't, you know. There was no, like, grouching and complaining. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy about that.
2: Nice. <laughs> um,
1: and at the same time, in this community, people are extremely generous.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The experience dancers are extremely generous in dancing with beginners, mm-hmm. and in also in dancing with people who are just less skilled, but have given a lot to the community mm-hmm. there's so that I think that is the ideal that if you want to cultivate some gen- generosity yourself you do mm-hmm. but you don't get into this kind of bitching and grouching about other people yeah because it does depend on how you feel it depends on whether you're a man or a woman frankly it's easier for the leader mm-hmm. to do community services the follower you often have less control
2: mm-hmm.
1: it depends on how tired or otherwise you are
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and so I think you know you can everybody should be allowed to find their own level and you must always be must always be okay to say no thank you or to not dance because you are a little tired Mm -hmm. Um, you know so I feel like that was an ideal balance okay and it creates a very nice atmosphere
0: Mm -hmm. okay all right, so where can we find out more about you online, and where do we connect with your wonderful Tango blog?
1: The easiest way to connect with me is through Facebook. Okay. And I, the Facebook account for the blog mm-hmm. is under Iona May Italia. Okay. I-O-N-A, mm-hmm. May like the month, and Italia like the country in Italian, although that's not what it, the name means. Okay. So, I'm a very confusing uh, person, ethnically. <laughs> um, I am half Indian, and the name was originally Ita Walla. So, it, oh. was,
2: um,
1: it doesn't sound it, but I'm not Italian. But <laughs> don't hold that against me, please. I'm very much <laughs> in touch with my inner Italian. So, right. it's May Italia, and mm-hmm. it's completely public. So, you can friend or follow all right. um, I think even if you don't have Facebook, if you put it into Google search, you can read whatever the latest status is. Great. If you would like to be on a mailing list about the book, then you can email me, um, mm-hmm. and my email is iona.italia. Mm-hmm. Um, just be careful that the spelling is I-O-N-A, so I'm not Fiona or Ilona or Lona, uh, okay. it's, <laughs> it's Italia I-O-N-A. at gmail.com. Okay. All right. Also, do get in touch if if anybody if anybody's listening to this from Bombay and would mm-hmm. like to take classes, please also get in touch. And um, yeah, all right. That's that's the easiest way to contact me. And you can also probably contact Michael about the book soon.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, and I'll have all that information in our show notes, so people will be able to find you online and to email you about the book. All right, Iona, thank you again so much for taking the time to share your thoughts and to, and to speak to me and to connect with our audience. I'm sure they'll really appreciate what you have to say.
1: My pleasure.
0: Okay. All right, you have a great evening. Enjoy a malanga if you're going to one and um, stay in touch. I'll let you know when this thank is you. online. Yeah, I'll let you know when this is online and uh, I think it'll be, be a lot of fun for people.
1: Great, thank you
0: so much. Okay, thank you. Take care now. You too, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well it was definitely great to talk one-on-one with Iona, AKA the Terpa Squirrel Tango Addict. Iona had a lot to say and it was really fun listening to her stories, but a couple things really stood out. One was about dancing with different partners. Iona worked with several leaders and each of them had their own style. They all moved differently. Some would be very level, and some would have a little more flex in the knees where there'd be a very noticeable rise and fall motion. But she enjoyed dancing with all of them, so there isn't one single dance style that's correct. You'll have to discover what kind of dancer you are, and at the same time, adjust to a variety of different partners. She also made a great point about technique. She said, the things you think you're doing, you need to do them more. For example, when it comes to shaping our feet when we move or maintaining good posture, we need to be really conscious of those items. Some of you listening would recommend that we videotape ourselves while we dance, and although it can be a painful experience, it is very helpful, and it will reveal what we need to work on. She also made an important point about emotional stages we go through while learning tango. There will be times when we're really confident, and times when we're really self-conscious. We will inevitably encounter doubt, and that really feels bad. But just because we might feel miserable about our dancing at a particular point in time, that doesn't mean our tango is actually going downhill. It could mean that we're growing or improving. And finally, I think that the success of Iona's blog is worth noting. It started off as a diary of her thoughts. Then she turned it into a more organized project online. It started small, then it grew, and now she's known worldwide. It took years, of course, but the point is, when you find something you like, whether it's tango or anything else, stick with it, explore it go deep with it. See how it evolves, where it takes you. There's no guarantee that you'll become world famous like Iona, but you'll make new friends, you'll come across opportunities that wouldn't be otherwise available to you, and you'll discover really good things you weren't even looking for. So thank you again, Iona, for telling your story, for sharing your insights, and for your great blog. Please keep it going. And to all of you listeners, thank you again for tuning in to Joe's Tango Podcast. If you enjoyed this program and you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, it would mean the world to me if you could go to any one or all of those platforms. Leave a five-star rating, a positive comment, and remember to subscribe. It only takes a minute but does a lot to help more people find this podcast. And of course, sharing this with your friends would also be lovely. I truly appreciate your support. And if you have suggestions for people that you'd like me to interview, or if you just want to get in touch, feel free to send me an email. You can contact me at wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's Tango all one word, at gmail.com. And you can find out more about me and my own tango classes at wisconsintango.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word.com. Okay, that's it for now. We'll have more shows coming to you every Monday and sometimes Fridays, but definitely every Monday. I'm Joe Yang. Talk to you again soon.